Alexa, what time is it? It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Well, here we are. Let's hope that there's less swearing in this episode. Yes, there were challenges last week. Challenges, I think we like to call them. Opportunities to grow. We learned a lot about life and love. Yes, and uh, frantically trying to deal with whatever update it was that had um, caused communication problems between my computer and the mixing desk and whatever, quote-unquote, progress and improvements that Facebook have decided to deliver to their page that makes it impossible to actually broadcast. But there we go. Um, we're here. So how's your week been, Ian? Bit of a lame one this week, to be honest, Simon. I, I kind of ex- knew it was coming, but a uh, bit of a restructure at work, so at risk of redundancy, um, which is always a troubling time. Um, but there are some new roles that have been created, and I'm in a pool, so it's one of those... It's the, I've been through them before. It's the uncomfortable game of musical chairs where... You know, there are five of you and they take two of the chairs away and see see who ends up. So, uh, yeah, not panicking yet, but obviously uncomfortable time, not just for myself, but for all my colleagues. So, um, yeah, not been there. Not been the best week, but we've powered through it. Well, how about yourself? Um, well, the the applications for grown up work continue, basically. So um, like me in the other half of the country, I guess. Um, but you just got to keep battling on. Um, had a um, was nearly successful. So on um, one application this week, which I won't remember where, but sorry, won't mention where. I do remember. Um, but uh, but yeah, you. Uh, it's it's that old thing of you just got to keep going at it. Really, you've just got to keep trying. So, um, but I thought it was lame was an interesting word that you used, considering you you've done. You've visited the the gym, haven't you, and overdone it a bit? Oh God, yeah, yeah. No, we've we've been well physically. I'm a, as the, uh, those watching will be able to see, I'm a sculpted god. We we finished Friday with a two hour power upper body session, which meant I was actually feeling rather ruined today. So we 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 usually do a Sunday afternoon session, went along and decided we do legs, and then I was persuaded to do stretching by my. 20 year old much stretchier son and to be fair my lower back sounded a little bit like Millsy, my guide dog eating a bag of frazzles so wrong at snuff if i utter a blood-curdling scream and dive sideways that will be the uh that'll be the root cause of the problem but hopefully we'll um i've got a tin of man up with me here so i'll um i'll see what i can power through well, I, I hope that goes well. Um, you have my entire sympathy if you um, if you if you've done your you know if you end up suffering oh, with yes, a back pain. Yes, yes. So um, yes. I, I've got some walking sticks to I can run round and lend you if necessary. Um, let's hope let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yes, let's 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 hope that we don't try to find out a way that um, that I managed to socially distance hand over a hygienically cleaned, obviously been wiped down with um, sanitizer. Um, a um a, a walking stick but um yeah so here we are the the end of another week we're in october already um and uh don't worry the clocks aren't going back just yet um but still you know it might be time for our christmas decorations but talking of the past 
I don't I don't think that really worked as a segue, did it? That didn't really work as a link whatsoever. Not, not so much. It wasn't my best work. Um, so on this day, you, so you've got a so Ian already has a Christmas stocking out. Um, yep. So this this was presented to me uh, probably would have been. 18 years ago because I was considered so miserable that I never put up any Christmas decorations in my office. So every year on the 1st of December, I would take a piece of blue tack to this, slam it onto my office door, utter the words, ho, 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 Christmas decorations, done. So it's it's now my job ready to decorate my home office later in the piece. Okay, well... Um... I, I wish you well with the Christmas decorations. Um, how many podcasts till Christmas? I don't know. We haven't uh, figured that yeah, out yet. That's, that's I know that lots of people we talking, you know, the key question isn't how many sleeps till Christmas or how many elves yeah. on the shelf till Christmas. It's how many podcasts till Christmas. Um, other podcasts are available, but why? Um, so, okay. So on this day, um 18 cast our minds back all the way back to 1830 that's not like half past six we're talking about the year 1830 uh, the provisional government declares succession of belgium from the netherlands oh, you know countries they're, they're, they're still not happy over there mate um well Couple, i used to go over there ooh, about every eight weeks for a year and uh it, it's interesting you know the harmonious capital of the eu but your, your Flemish and your French speakers and your German speakers, not absolutely aligned. And we thought things were bad between Southampton and Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, but I guess you, you find a way to live with that if you're, you know, if you're a countries that um, either have a border as in a line drawn on a map or don't. Um, but yeah, you know, this separating of countries things, it'll never catch on. Um so, 1921, the League of Nations refuses to assist starving Russians. That's um, a bit shameful. Um, and uh, in 1957, the Soviet Union launches Sputnik 1, the first artificial s satellite to um, into elliptical low Earth orbit. Yeah. So, there we go. Do you remember Zig Zig Sputnik? D I, I do. I was just kind of... They were rubbish, weren't they? Yeah, I thought you were just singing the the, the bit to the opening credits of um, Doctor Who from Russell T. Davies's time, to be fair. Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, so in the, in, the, in the space of 36 years, the Soviet Union went from loads of starving Russians to um, to putting something in orbit. Satellites into space, yeah. Satellites into space. Ah, oh, this socialism nonsense, it will never work out. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm channeling my inner. <laughs> I was going to say, you're play, very playful there, son, aren't you? I'm not sure holding Russia up as the, no, the model of um, no. <laughs> socialism. As well, a, no, it didn't really work out for him, did it? Yeah, um, back the wrong horse there, chum. No, they got they got um spent into um spent into oblivion on the on the when it comes to uh, military spending. But there we go. Anywho, so that was on um on this week, on this day. Um and so talking of things that we didn't hear about. So today's episode 
we're talking about participatory budgets. And what the hell does that mean? Well, it's an interesting one. And and I I guess we've we've read a little bit, but, you know, rather than us, this this newfound approach we've got of bringing people in who actually know what they're talking about, rather than us just bumbling along like Stettler and Waldorf. Um, So we've got David Simpson coming to join us today. Um, It's a subject he's interested in. He sees, um, and it was one of his posts that we picked up from. In broad terms, it's basically in a, in a district or a city or it's about putting a portion of the budget to one side and then saying to the the people in that area so we choose what it should be spent on and you know again well uh, david gives a lot more data and science i'm sure but it's an interesting one because one of the things we seem to be or oh, let's face it society as a whole and we're all very good at it is saying there should be more money spent on x or y but one of the things we're all less keen on is pointing at the areas where to spend more over here you've got to spend less over here so it'll be very interesting for us to work that through with david to to just see how the mechanics of all that works indeed and with um with um practically faultless timing uh david um will join us now So we let the we let the connections work their way up. Hello, David. Can you hear us? We can't hear you just yet. Hello. Hello. Hello, David. Ah. Sorry, I didn't know if that was my connection or your connection. Sorry, mine decided uh, to be really fussy at the, precisely that point. Uh, so, welcome onto the show, mate. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. No worries. Could you start then, David, just by introducing yourself, um, what your interest is in politics, and um, and then give us a, a, a sort of insight into uh, into the topic in hand. Right, okay. Well, um, as you know, my name's David Simpson. Um, I was born in Portsmouth um, back in 1973. Um, and um, I've actually only been living in Portsmouth since 2013, um, as I was formerly a law student. So I studied law at Portsmouth University. Um, and politically, I'm more on the left. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm open to, to dialogue with anyone. So um, about participatory budgeting, you sort of, you're on the right track. So it's, it's basically um, allowing people to uh, decide on either a the budget and uh, in the political of the issues surrounding the budget and basically they are empowered um, to um, to be more involved in civic society Um, so what we saw in Brazil where it started in the uh, in the late 80s um, 
in that context, uh, there was a military di dictatorship. So they had to find ways of uh, reorganizing and yeah, having a new economy. So after various attempts, they stuck with participation and the results from participatory budgetality declined. Um, education was more accessible. Um, and also public services were more accessible to communities who were basically ignored. Um, so what I've been doing around participatory budgeting is around the environment. And the reason for that is, is because of climate change. Um, there is a discussion that people should have more of a say, and that's beyond a consultative um, approach, but a more deliberative approach towards climate change. So with issues around the environment and budgets included, um, that way people can um organize the resources it's also to do with sustainable developments um and um yeah yeah so just just cutting in there david i, I guess you know as you say it's been around for a while um interesting that it would start in a in a very top-down sort of military dictatorship and then effectively give the people to the you know the 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 power to then decide how the the allocation was was spent. Are there any more sort of recent examples a little bit closer to um, home? Yeah, Gosport. Gosport had a participatory budgeting based on the arts, and that was very much um, a grant based um, participatory budgeting. So you have a grant based um, PB, which is a lot smaller, but you have more mainstreaming. So the nearest one to that would be Paris as you, you saw in the, the article that you mm -hmm. came across. Um, but also uh, Lisbon have just started a green participatory budgeting. And that is really just to raise funds to move to a more carbon neutral. Um, to United States, they have participatory budgeting in New York, Chicago, um, and even Portsmouth in the United States. Uh, you could go to um, Australia where they've had participatory budgeting. The other one nearest to, um, to us will be Scotland, who are a lot more advanced, shall we say, in their participatory budgeting. So they allocate 1% of the entire budget, national budget, and that may sound very little, but that equates to 100 million pounds. And there's so, about 57 different kinds of participatory budgeting. Yeah, it, 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 so it sounds it, it sounds look like you know you've got a you've got a catch-all term there. And I think I do remember the 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 um, gospel example that you gave, which was yeah. which from from memory was basically there was a this is the pot of money that we're going to spend on the arts. Yeah. 
people were then invited to step forward to say, you know, well, my youth theatre company wants X thousand pounds. And then it was, a, you know, placing their votes. And, and ultimately, the league table then meant those towards the top got their money. And obviously, a, a cutoff point, some people didn't make the, yeah. you know, didn't make the cut. Yeah, that's right. And how well, do you know how well that was received? Is that something that was trialled and then taken forward or trialled and then stopped? How did that, how did that um, go? Yeah, well, I mean, going, going back to the Scottish example, um, it's had um, a mixed, um, let's say a mixed response. So there were some that complained that the the system was too gladiatorial, um, you know, that they felt some communities were unfairly left out. There were some that actually said it was a fair system. Um, mm. And it's based on um, an evaluation between 2016 and 2018. That's the, the, the most evidence I have from that. Because mm. um, I guess... I guess the challenge, just thinking out loud there, David, with a national system like, like Scotland. I mean, Scotland is is a, you know, it is a surprisingly big place, mm. but has a, you know, the population density is actually, you know, very much focused around that middle belt around Glasgow and Edinburgh. So I guess the, the, the challenge would be on a simple sort of one vote basis that I would guess initiatives that were you know, you'd have less chance getting an initiative in, you know, the Isles of Sky and Arran mm. across the line on votes alone than you would do perhaps one that might provide more benefit to the bigger cities. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, over, I think to Scotland it is, um, it is a quite a big place, doesn't look a big place on the map, but it is um, mm. a very big place, but the population is more dispersed than it is in England. Um, talking about England, there are other grant-based participatory budgetings, but the the English approach has been basically just to improve community um, engagement rather than seen as a complete, you know, tool for, you know, for more radical social change as in, you know, Brazil. You've gone very yeah. quiet. Yeah, sorry, I didn't know whether someone you know, had stopped I... speaking or whether whether there was a whether my internet <laughs> connection had gone again. So, so sorry, David. That's so, all right. So I, I guess from a mechanism perspective, there's that there's not kind of one size fits all. There's there's you know you, you, there's different kinds of way of implementing it. But at its at its base at its most basic and fundamental level, it allows um, it allows the electorate to say. Hey, this is what we, you know, these are the things that we want prioritised out of, and whether that's a, um, when you know, whether that's a pre-presented kind of bag of options, whether that's things that the residents themselves have submitted, but essentially that's kind of what it what it allows them to do, is to have their say on that sort of thing going on, um, and as you say, in the, in, in some countries that's that's actually cut, you know, cause a you know, the things that they've chosen to um, spend on. I know one of the examples in in the article that you 
that you that you'd shared that drew our attention to it was um one of the exa- um the examples there was and I forget whether it was Paris or or not but they the local citizens had chosen to donate that money actually to a local refugee shelter yeah um so um it I, I i don't know i don't i think there's a kind of like a wonder you know from i guess the kind of dreamer part of me thinks that there's a there's a wonderful wonderfully altruistic human element of too often when we talk about um budgets it's a very kind of it's obviously a very very black and white subject it can um either be emotive or really boring depending on how you look at them um yeah. but actually it just for me it seems that the idea in itself takes something that's actually probably quite a dry subject and makes it something that people care about and actually well it might be a very very simple thing that actually in the grand scheme of things of the budget for that local municipal authority might be you know a very very small thing but for those people in that community might actually be a really important thing um that if i'm honest for me that was that was kind of what drew my attention was that it um there's an opportunity there and maybe actually funnily enough people might actually support things that we don't think they support yeah yeah um when you said one size fits all yeah you're absolutely spot on um there is no such thing as one particular kind of participatory budgeting so the research i've been doing is around um the environment and climate change so that would be a more thematic um participatory budgeting but it's it's more than just um just budgets and i think what you're trying to allude to is the um the outcomes following an engagement in the budgetary process so you have the empowerment and the local ownership so people own the the decisions and they witness the decisions being implemented um and those who haven't been politically engaged don't vote um you know, uh, you know, um, how can I say, um, you know, don't agree with the politicians in, in charge, um, they actually become more empowered as well because they have a platform mm-hmm. to say, you know, and to air their grievances, to say, well, you know, I believe this is what X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. also if you look at children, um, there's plenty of examples um, of child-based participatory budgeting. Uh, you have um, either in the developed um, world or in um, industrial countries like ours, you have child-based participatory budgeting. And again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. But the nearest example of a child-based participatory budgeting is in Swansea. So what happened in Swansea was uh, the city council and the county council, they invited a hundred children to a big conversation, which I think is what it was called. And uh, they were, the children were given influence on you know what money should, what happened aware of their community they had um more um you know their their education improved you know their self-esteem improved their personal development improved so 
you know, for children, it's, you know, it is a very empowering um, system. And I had a conversation with someone who um, went to, well, went to one event and there were three transgendered uh, teenagers and going beyond the budget just for them to stand up and say, you know, we are transgendered teenagers gave them a lot of empowerment. So it's, it's more than just budgets. Mm-hmm. I mean, budgets is the central thing, but mm. the, um, you know, the empowerment goes beyond, you know, decision-making. Yeah, it's an interesting one there, David, because I think one of the things that strikes me as we're having the conversation is, you know, often we talk about, you know, politicians having to make grown-up decisions. Because there is an element of, you know, there is not an infinite pot of money. Mm. So ultimately, you know, there are there are, quote unquote, good causes, you know, within every city that the the council could and perhaps should invest in. Mm. And I think, you know, for me, one of the things that sounds very powerful about this is, is, as you say, you know, actually engaging young people in the fact that there is a budget, yeah, for me, sounds like a very powerful educational thing to do because there is an element of, you know, whilst you might want a new iPhone and you might want the latest trainers and you might want X, Y, and Z, often the bank of mum and dad doesn't stretch to that. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, giving that, giving that choice back that says, well, the answer you can't give is everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where, this is where the educational element of PB comes in because I mean, in Portugal, they're really pushing the, um, the education. So with, with children, they're engaging children into the, the green participatory budgeting. So they learn about how budgets work how local government works, um, you know, how how decisions are made, you know, everything related to local government, you know, is made part of the, um, you know, part of their education. Well, I can't, yeah, I mean, to be honest, how, how can anyone see that as a, you know, that, that can't be a bad thing, can it? At the end of the day, we're in a situation where, you know, in, in some in some parts of the city, in some wards of the city, um, voter turnout at local elections was under twenty percent. Um, you know, there's you know quite obviously over the last over the last several years there've been lots of voter apathy or lots of voter anger, um, and the more involvement. And uh, I've always I've always quite liked the idea of actually you know getting being actually understanding how this stuff all works and actually getting involved with it is a key thing i've been one of those sad people that that has always been interested in politics um and it isn't something i've grown out of yet um but it's yeah that to be honest that sounds a bit of a you know that in in and of itself seems a bit of a no-brainer to me is that if we can do something that actually gets more people involved gets young people involved gets them gets more people involved in actually the you know the democratic process and actually the communities that they live in that's um that's not a bad thing right that's that's got to be a good thing so i guess the 
the question that I'm going to have loads of people shouting at me afterwards for is, if we do that, what do we need councillors for? Because participatory budgeting doesn't, or, de- you know, in, in a nutshell, a deliberative mm-hmm. process, it doesn't abolish the need for councillors. You still need to have councillors. There are some decisions that will be made outside of the yeah. participatory budgeting process because there's some things that a PB process can't um, mm. address, like job creation um, or you know unemployment. You know, more or less the same thing. So, yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. So, sorry. Yeah. I, I so, guess. I, Sorry. Go, go ahead, you've, got go. Love, you've got to love zoom haven't you it's that yeah. <laughs> I, I guess i guess that just thinking this through there is an element of for some of the council's um spending they have got um oh, i've got the word um statutory they, they've yeah. got statutory obligations so there yeah. is an element of you know that is gonna you know we're, we're not going to take a vote on whether we fund adult social care or we fund you know, um, children's services, there is an element of that those things have to be paid for to a certain or lesser degree. I yeah. guess what we're talking about is is what I, I, I guess we could describe as discretionary spend. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was, is um, you would still need to have councillors like, as I, as I mm-hmm. said, there's decisions that can't be made within a, a participatory budgeting process. It could also be a little bit too technical and complex. You also got things like confidentiality, mm. um, which um, has to be taken into account. Um, but what that's what that means is though, is it actually complements the um, the representative democracy because what you have is is an increased legitimacy and it also brings into accountability and transparency it makes the whole representative democracy more um, transparent and accountable so it's it's really an issue of good governance yeah, so it's not. Um... Yeah, I think. Uh... Go on, Ian. No, the the lag like. today is is really is is really kind of stifling the the to and fro of yeah. the of the conversation. So apologise. Um, we're we're sorry if that makes it sound a bit awkward. Um, go on, Ian. No, no, you're you're fine. You lead on. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Now. Yeah, so we, I mean, yeah, I mean that you know that makes perfect sense. I mean, in the same way that you know the mechanism itself isn't a one-size-fits-all the idea itself isn't a isn't the universal answer to you know to everything isn't it but it but it has its place and it has its value and as a concept it it, um it seems to be quite uh quite an interesting one so you you talk that in you seem that seem to be saying that lots of places are using this as a as a mechanism to um get greater involvement on for example green issues on you know t- changing changing the focus of their economies yeah yeah that's right um and with with the the, the local environment in in the city there's there's a lot of concern about pollution 
Mm. Um, so, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of people there who would like, you know, through, you know, sort of reading between the lines, there's, there's a lot of people there that would probably like to have more of a say in issues like pollution. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating one, David, and I'd like to kick that about a little bit more with you, because yeah. we, we've, co we've covered the subjects on our, um, on the podcast, uh, 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 on a couple of occasions, we've had the Greens on, um, and a, a, a chat from um, Let Pompey Breathe, and 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 again. So the, the challenge, and everyone seems to be, you know, again, the air pollution. We've got the consultation going on around the clean air zone. We've, you know, the the eternal Portsmouth conversation around parking zones and should it be citywide or should it be you know, patchwork approach, all of these things kind of, everyone sort of agrees that something needs to be done about it. Yeah. But then when, when, and again, it's been the same for both the, the, the Conservative and the Lib Dem administration, when people then try and do something about it, we get very much to the, oh yeah, but I want less cars on the road, but m mine, my wife's and my two teenage sons we need to keep all four of ours so how how do you think participatory participatory budgeting can help with some of those you know almost in what seem to be insoluble problems for the city right well there's actually two ways of addressing pollution and the local environment as a whole and human rights comes into this, but I'll go on to that in a moment. So mm. with participatory budgeting, as I say, it's to do with um, uh, how budgets are allocated, but also there is an element where, uh, you know, people and they can put that towards as uh, a proposal you know, um, as part of improving the environment. What hmm. you what you also have, and it sort of goes hand in hand with PB, is a human rights-based approach. Um, the human rights-based approach is basically where you have um, to do with environmental impact assessments. You have a system where um, any discriminatory practices are identified and eliminated. You then have, um, again, it's, it's deliberative, so you have people more involved. I always think that councillors are in a very good position than, polit than politicians in Westminster because they know the community well, but the ones that know the community better than the councillors are the people that live in the communities. So again, it's involving the communities into um, preparing in, uh, impact assessments, other things as well. I'm still researching that, so I might mm. be committed. Um, and and it, 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 it works, it promotes advocacy. Um, there was an example in Dublin uh, to do with housing and they, the people that lived in the housing were living in really shocking conditions. So, you know, issues like, you know, dead, dead birds, you know, anything that basically 
was um, a substandard housing. So what they did was, is they got together with um, a group, they used education to, um, through international human rights principles um, to argue because they felt consultation wasn't working in, in their, um, in, in their interests. Sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, the, the education allowed them to be advocates for their own community within the estate. And in the end, they managed to have, um, refurbishments and rebuilding housing. Again, I'm a little bit limited on that. It's, yeah, it's still in research. I think at the moment, this is where, you know, as I say, I touched on it there, which is that the, the, the really big issues are, are, and I think you're absolutely right, the ability to advocate for small local green projects are, you know, it, it, it would fit ideally into, you know, at the end of the day, there is an element of, if we look at the discretionary spend of the council, mm. you know, you, you could definitely, you know, put, you know, put those options in to be chosen alongside everything else. I think the challenge for me is, is and this is where, and again, it's probably why we've had so many episodes on the, the, the green challenge in Portsmouth is that, is that, and it's interesting when you talk about human rights, there is an element of if we think about the, you know, the situation in terms of the pollution in Portsmouth, there are areas which are more polluted than others. Yeah. The challenge to depollute those then presents, you know, different challenges for the community as a whole. So it's that kind of, there is a benefit on one side in that you get better air quality, you know, you, you, you're not in that sort of that, that dreadful zone, but then there is a cost in terms of business, in terms of people coming into the city that then knocks on to jobs. And, and you know, at the end of the day, there is an element of it, it, it's, it's, it's how do we find that sweet spot? Mm. And I guess it's that, it is that one for the people to decide? Um, I would, I would say so. Um, but I, I think to determine that it would have to be beyond a consultative um, context and more of a deliberative system. So I know that there's been climate, um, sorry, citizens assemblies. Hmm. Um, I believe there was one in Portsmouth. Um, but when I say deliberative, I mean, you know, it sort of goes beyond where councillors still make the final decision. The people make the, the final decision and the councillors implement it. But I think to determine how to deal with pollution, I think you, you need to have a human rights-based approach because the right to life, the right to mm. a healthy environment is a human rights issue. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it has to be dealt with within a human rights context, but also in a deliberative context as well. Okay. Because the only, the only way you're going to, you know, determine what, you know, what is best for the community is for the people who live in 
those communities. Indeed. Um, when I finally battled my way through Facebook's update um, and got myself into the into following the chat, um, so regular listener Lynn has um, has commented that um, she likes the idea, um, and there will always be be winners and losers, um, yeah. which I, I think is is um, is a clear thing. It kind of seems from you know from what all three of us are, are saying that the concept itself seems like a really really great idea. Um, and has yeah. so many different benefits you know we've talked about the um you know we talked about uh, democratic engagement we've talked about the educational element of it um and you know public just you know general improvement of public involvement but i, yeah. I guess the 64 million dollar question is going to be um so in those examples that was that was how they did it or, or what they did or what you know what the what the public had, had chosen for how is that how is that funded in those um, in in the sorts of examples that, that you've looked at? Um, well, it, it depends on the size of the budget. Mm -hmm. So, the local government, um, or yeah, the local government authority, say you can have a budget of four hundred or four hundred thousand, and it would be at least some form of participatory budgeting. Um, I was given an example once of. Um, going back to child-based participatory budgeting, where the youngest age was three, and they were encouraged to buy buy toys. This this is within a toddler's context, not with real money, but they used plastic money to buy toys for other children. So you know that's one example of uh, a budget. To us adults, it doesn't mean a lot because we we don't use plastic money. I wish we did, but we don't. But um, you could have any size of the budget. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, you could use the entire budget for the environment. It's just an example. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying do it. But as an example, you could use the whole environmental budget and put it to the people. You know, that's how you fund it. You can also fund it through other means, taxation, um in lisbon they've gone to other organizations and they managed to raise five million euros so you know there's plenty of plenty of avenues you can go down to fund it okay. plus also the winners and losers um as i said earlier in scotland there was a mixed response some said it was gladiatorial some mm. the system was was fair and i think that's the the thing you are going to get winners and losers but it's how you deal with it fairly and also how you um work with principles of equality because after all um participation budgeting is not meant to be a gladiatorial system or a competitive system it, it has to be doesn't it david so, so if I, you know, again thinking about, you know, thinking about this in, in practical terms, mm. there, there are there is there are always more deserving causes than yeah. there are money. You yeah. know, those those of us that choose to give money to charity, and I'm very fortunate. I work for a charity. You know, I know that when people, you know, put their pound in a tin, there are certain charities that they are happy to support, and there are certain charities which whilst they might theoretically want to support them you know there isn't another pound for the tin so uh, 
you know, for for me, I guess the the challenge will be how deep do you take it? Mm. You know, if if the allocation of money is all nice to haves, then there will be some nice to haves that get the money and some that don't. And I guess you know, well, that people will be upset with that. Mm. The, then it's not the end of the world. Mm. I guess head to head with a you know a, a, a teaching England English to asylum seekers or to to you know people who are, are new in a city of English isn't their first language. Mm. That's quite a and there's only X amount of money left in the pot. That's a pretty tricky one for you to decide who yes. is out there. Yeah. But I think this is where deliberation comes in and accountability and transparency. But with, you know, with deciding where the money goes, you know, if people collectively decide, Mm. that's where the money goes. But you have to do it in a fair, um, in a fair process and also in a process that, that includes equality unpack that a bit more for me right well you don't want to have a situation where say 50,000 pounds to plant trees in a community as a hypothetical example Hmm? Um, you know you you've really got me there actually yeah no no worries i wasn't looking to catch you out i was was just trying to understand david and i guess that that is the thing isn't it and and i guess that's where we need to just focus in on the mechanics of of how something like this could and would work in portsmouth yeah you know Um, so i mean that's i mean i i would say to to give you a short answer is is that you know, a PB has to speak to who it's targeting. So PB is always pro-poor. You know, it's it's not for the for those with vested interests. You know, there there is that risk, but ultimately it is aimed at, at the poorest and the disadvantaged. Um, so you you have to have a a system that speaks to them. And you know, you you need to have a system basically. Um, where people can decide. I mean, it's it's quite a big. It, it, it is an issue, and it is mm. an issue to um, to deal with. But I think the best thing to deal with with that is to discuss it in the open. I wish I could give you a better answer than that. No, but... no, and I, I think if I if I try and help out there, I guess it's <clears throat> it, it sounds similar to the discussion that 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 often you know, I see played out around the National Lottery, mm. which is the National Lottery has money for good causes. Yeah. Um, but it's very supportive of the opera. Now, you can look at the opera and, you know, for the vast majority of the population, the opera isn't their idea of a good night out. It's mm. an extraordinarily expensive um, production to put on. You know, it's why the tickets often run to three figures. Yeah. So there's, I, I guess there's a question there in terms of if I look at that through the lens of, well, 
should the national lottery be supporting something as elitist as the opera yeah i guess that that that's the space you're in in terms of the participatory budget you yeah. know if 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 and i guess that's the question of well is it is it for the people to decide you know if if and i'll pick something theory if you know refurbishing the new theater royal in guildhall walk is the top pick of what the people in the city want you know is it their right to to then choose that above what what you could describe as more worthy causes focused on the poor mm, yeah okay. it becomes a little bit of a moral maze it, you it, love a moral uh, maze Simon it, it does yeah. yeah it sounds like a cereal that conservatives eat in the morning um <laughs> so um <laughs> sorry uh that was a cheap one uh yeah but right, I... rather than your immoral maze <laughs> oh wow um 15 love um sorry what's that um boris johnson's black book um so um so, okay back onto the topic um yep. so yeah but surely um to be honest surely actually statutory requirements would deal with actually the the you know to be honest the the utmost areas of, of poverty i think the interesting the interesting thing for me is um is that there are some issues and and you alluded to it at the beginning ian is that there are some issues that actually are quite politically toxic in the city um mm. and those are to do with trying to actually uh trying to improve the air that we breathe um and trying to reduce the number of cars that there are in 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 the city um and i'm i'm often struck by the the idea that um on one hand the pro cycling lobby if i can call them that um as far as they're concerned the council of whatever persuasion are um in hoc to or listening to the behest of taxi drivers or the car lobby as, as they as they probably don't call it they probably call it something else um and likewise um people that drive to and from work or drive you know people that use cars um consider that the council are in hoc to um what they consider um uh, special interest groups like the cycling lobby um obviously they can't both be right because the council can't be in hoc to both of them um but there is a kind of like a thing a thing that strikes me is that to be really honest with you i've i've lived here for 48 years and in all the time i've lived in this city um obviously i can't really remember like the first 10 years of of um talking about traffic but we've always suffered we've always struggled with the issue of there's too much traffic on the road there's too many cars on the roads we need actually decent um integrated public transport um and that is kind of linked to the to the clean air issue so in some ways it becomes politically toxic and no one does anything about it or does any does anything really brave about it because uh, to be blunt if they did they'd get kicked out on the next election um so there's a bit of me that thinks, do you know what, if that was directly decided on about those particular issues, um, using your example of, of green kind of issues, then maybe that would provide, and I'm not talking about the abdication of responsibility from elected administrations, but that would actually perhaps provide a bit of political cover for administrations to do the brave and long-term right thing for the city. On the flip mm. side of that, being a typical liberal democrat i have two different views about the same thing on the flip side of that <laughs> um i thought i'd do the own self-depreciation yep. um 
the amount of money that we're talking, you know, to be really honest, if you wanted to put a tram system into the city, if you wanted to, um, if you wanted to invest in um, cheaper and more uh, more convenient bus services, for example, those are things that require national legislation change. Those are things that require larger amounts of money than we would be talking about in any sort of participatory budget. Um, and the other bit of me that kind of thinks of when we're, tr- you know, when the when the council are. 14 million down this year because of because uh, of the um you know tackling uh, covid uh, yeah. when they're being required to actually find consistent savings it's the how do we get what is a really great idea into something that could work in a city like portsmouth without something else suffering yeah and if you've got an answer for that, and to be honest, you'll get elected tomorrow, because <laughs> <laughs> because you're you know you're you're you you know you've got a magic wand, um, but but yeah, do you, do you kind of see where the, I think for me that's where the that's where I'm struggling is that I like the idea, I really like it for all of the reasons we've discussed, but I struggle with how we could make it work and how we could afford it. Yeah, uh, I think this is where you know, where deliberation comes in. Mm. This is where participatory budgeting comes in. Um, because, you know, the good thing about participatory budgeting is it it eliminates the corruption. I'm not saying Portsmouth City Council is corrupt. I'm not, I'm not, but it also deals with things like clientelism. One thing I've, I've found, I get all these messages on Facebook, you know, about, you know, how bad the council's been in deciding about the, the clean air zone. Which, which I, I agree, but we'll go into that another time. <laughs> That's um, a whole other podcast. Yeah, another podcast, yeah. Um, is is that, to me, the council has sort of gone to a very small group of people, which is the, the taxi lobby, and taken out another part of, of Portsmouth. Um, if you had deliberation, if you had that participatory system, then it, you know it goes back to the accountability and the transparency. Plus, also you wouldn't have the vested interests that would win out, like the taxi lobby or like the cycle lobby, because there wouldn't be any room for them to do that. the The system would put the people first to argue, debate, and decide how to deal with the issue of pollution or the clean air, clean air zone. So I, I think, you know, although the decision hasn't been taken very well, I think, you know, it can also be a saving grace, but that means you include people who argue, debate, and decide, you know, what to do. I believe there was a majority that said the cleaner zone is the right size or could be bigger. I mean, my my understanding was originally it was supposed to be a blanket citywide cleaner yeah, zone. I, yeah, so I think we've, we've, we've looked at the cleaner zone before and, and it can be many things. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that's where... You, you've got the situation where, you know, if you look at the clean air zone, um, and it, um, my belief is that the the, the you, you alluded to the change. I think that is still a proposal that goes to full council 
on the 16th, yeah. there is an element of, of, and this is where I, I think it's very interesting, isn't it, about, you know, about making decisions based on knowing what you're voting for. Mm. Because you say clean air zone for the whole of Portsmouth, and everybody says, yeah, that sounds, that sounds absolutely the right thing. Mm. Somebody then does the modelling and says, well, that means the port will close. And you say, what? And they say, well, the port will close because effectively the, the, the cost of that will become, it will make it prohibitive for road hauliers to, to be in Portsmouth. And yeah. we've done an impact assessment on the number of road hauliers that are based in Portsmouth and they will move out with the loss of two and a half thousand jobs. And everybody says, oh, well, hang about, hang about. I'm not sure we want to go quite that far. And this is this is where you end up with, you know, bits being sort of, you know, taken out of scope. Um, and, you know, I think that that's it, it. I think it's a fascinating it's probably a, a point where we need to start to wind up, because I think it is that it is that fascinating piece for this, which is which is really struck a chord with me, is that actually so often, you know, our, our politicians and our councillors have to make really, really difficult decisions. And often they're not looking to pick the best option. They're perhaps looking to pick the least worst option. Mm. Yeah. I okay. guess if, if maybe if more people got a say in that through a participatory mm. scheme, then at least there's always going to be there. Well, that's not what I voted for, Camp, but at least more people have had a had their um had their moment in their side. Yeah. It's um it's an interesting one. I quickly looked at because the count the city council does a consultation on the budget, so they don't directly do about a pass participatory budget, but they they ask yeah. people for what they think of it. Looking at the figures for two thousand and eighteen, um two and a half thousand residents responded. Mm. You know, across a city with more than two hundred thousand people in it. Yeah. That that's you know that's not really a good response and interestingly you know the largest number of responses they got was from the po4 postcode which is kind of port solon wimmering Paulsgrove area where they got 26 sorry 26 percent of the of the responses so it's yeah um it like so many things it's um it shows that we've got to do something to to re-engage the public yeah. this is a mm. this is a it's a it's a really really great idea, and it's mm. and it's really and I I love it in so many so many ways. I think the it's the how that um yeah. that kind of that kind of stumbles me. So no, it's a it's a really interesting one. Thank you for bringing it to us, David. It was a it's a it's a good one. Thank you. Brilliant. So David, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I've been Ian Tiny Morris, and our guest has been. David Simpson. And I've been Simon Sansbury. And just before we go, if you've struggled your way through um, through listening to that, um, then please do uh, leave us a review. But also remember that next week on the 11th of October, we'll be inviting back uh, Jerry Inquisitor-Brown to speak with Darren Sanders, the Cabinet Member for Housing and Homelessness, um, to talk about housing in the city and how 
how that works and how it goes forward. Thank you.